Here in Hosea, uh, we see some other stories, some other love stories uh, that we can really find in God's Word. And ultimately, we can see a couple different pictures, a couple different stories here in Hosea. Obviously, we can see the story of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer is his wife. Uh, the prophet Hosea has married. And we can see that story here. We know that the ultimate picture, that the ultimate teaching uh, in its original intent, in its original application that God very clearly brings out is of God's relationship with the people of Israel. And we're going to see that. We're going to talk about that some today. Uh, but it doesn't seem like too much of a stretch to, as we know that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that even as we can see God's love for Israel, that while well, we recognize the original context, and we're not trying to, to twist the Bible to say something it doesn't mean, but we can even see a picture, we can even see an illustration of God's love for you and me even today. And as we think about God's love for us displayed on the cross of Jesus Christ, we can see uh, some parallels and, and some, some signs of that and a depiction of that here in the passage today. And as we start off in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived, and, and bare him a son. And what a, a weird way for a love story to start, and what a weird way for a relationship to begin. And Hosea is going to be preaching uh, towards the northern kingdom, towards the very end of their reign, towards the very end of their rule. And if you've uh, taken Old Testament survey or something like that, you know that there's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and he's mostly preaching his message towards the northern kingdom, and they are just about to be conquered. As far as we can tell, they were probably overthrown by Assyria towards the very tail end of his ministry there. And so God says, I have a message for you that in this culture of wickedness, in this culture of, you know, even in Judah, the southern kingdom, where there are some uh, kings that are okay, there are some leaders that are okay, and in the northern kingdom where pretty much everybody is sinful, I have a message for you. I have something that I want you to do. I, I want you to follow me. I want you to, to do something for me as my prophet Hosea. Man, Hosea says, well, I, I'm listening, Lord. This is what I want to do. That he's a prophet. He's preaching for the Lord. He's standing for the Lord in the middle of a wicked culture. That he's trying to be salt and light uh, in a world that uh, is wicked and, and much like today's. And God says, so this is what I want you to do. This is my big plan for you. Are you ready to follow my call? Here, let me tell you what it is. Go marry a wife. And I'm going to guarantee you that she's going to be unfaithful to you. Right? This is my big plan for you, Hosea. Go marry somebody that's going to cheat on you. And it's going to have kids that won't be yours. Well, well really, God? That, that's your big idea? That's the big plan? Right? Like, I couldn't just get to be the prophet that gets to see revival in my country. Right? I, I don't get to be the prophet that, that gets to, to see uh, the nation turn back to God. And God said, hey, that's not what I'm calling you to do right now, but this is my plan for you. As we're looking at Hosea and as we work through the story, we're going to see God's love and we're going to learn about God's love. And the first thing that we can see is that God loves me so much, God loves you so much, that you can always trust His plan. God loves you so much that you can always trust His plan. And we look at Hosea's life and we look at what's going on here and, and at, at the start, man, this seems like a plan of grief. 
We know that weddings back then weren't exactly like weddings now, but if we could, you know, go back and superimpose a little bit of modern culture into back then, that maybe the night before, right, some of Hosea's friends are asking him, hey, are are you a little bit nervous about tomorrow? Oh, man, you, you, you have no idea. Right? It gets up, and I don't know if they, they did first look photography back then. I'm guessing not based on the photos thing, right? But uh, Abby and I, the morning of our wedding uh, over the summer, that uh, we got up and, and uh, we got ready and, and we went and uh, we did some, uh, some first look photography uh, there in uh, Pensacola where her family is. And, and just, just some awesome moments, just some great moments. And man, having to kind of fake a bit of a smile. Man, knowing that someday you're going to look back at these pictures and whatever they used for photo albums back then, right? And knowing that you're going to remember this day and that Gomer's not going to be there with you. Uh, Man, going uh, to the wedding, and I don't know exactly what they said for their vows, but if it was something like our our modern vows or something like that, hey, I I promise that I'm going to love you for for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. I, I will be faithful to you. And hearing Gomer say the same things back and knowing that it's a lie, knowing that she's going to cheat on you. Man, what a terrible plan. (laughs) What a terrible idea, God. Really, this is your big idea? This is your plan? This plan of grief. And he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son, in verse 3. He has his first child. Man, what a great moment. What an exciting moment. Uh, I was privileged to have uh, Brother Nathan, uh, one of the missionaries here, over the past uh, couple week, uh, couple days here, and uh, stay with us for a bit of the time. And uh, him and Alicia just a plus 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 people. And I hope that some of you got to meet them. And uh, and they're going to have their first kid. The due date's about three weeks out. And man, just such excitement, such anticipation, and and this wonderful moment in Hosea's life. And uh, this is what God says, verse four: The Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. Now, this wasn't just because God thought this would would sound interesting or it wasn't topping the the baby name scroll of what they used back then in ancient Israel, right? But the name Jezreel uh, had a lot of significance and none of it was happy, right? So the first problem was that the name Jezreel, uh, and it even mentions it here in the text, was the place of a massacre. Uh, That a couple of generations before that Jehu had overthrown uh, the house of Ahab, had massacred the house of Ahab. And God said, I'm going to avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. Hey, you know what? Jehu was used as an instrument of judgment, uh, but instead of just judging, he goes on this slaughter fest, and I'm going to bring that back home to him. I'm going to avenge the massacre of Jezreel. It would be uh, like if maybe one of the missionaries uh, walked in, just had a, you know, holding a, a little baby and, and a little baby, baby girl maybe, and uh, you go up and ask them, oh, you know, what's, what's her name? And they're like, oh, it's Pearl. Oh, that's a cute name. Yeah, her middle name is Harbor. We named her Pearl Harbor after the massacre, right? <laughs> it's that kind of just, why would you do that, God? Why would you name the child Jezreel the place of a massacre? God said, oh, by the way, there's also uh, another idea that uh, you're going to want to know. So Jezreel means he scatters. So also, I'm going to scatter your nation, right? I'm going to bring in another nation. They're going to destroy you, and they're going to scatter you. Okay, well, that was punnier than I was expecting, God, but also terrifying, right? So my first child, 
this moment I've been waiting for, this moment I've been anticipating that someday I'm going to, to get to look in uh, my child's eyes and I'm going to get to dream about their future and, and all these moments together, I'm going to always have to call them the massacre place. The place that is going to remind me that God's going to scatter my people. Verse 4, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. I'm going to destroy your nation at Jezreel just to bring this full circle, Hosea. Thanks, God. That's, that's thoughtful. And this plan of grief that, that God is building. Hey, so go marry somebody that's going to cheat on you. Hey, go have a, a kid and his name is going to be the massacre place that's going to let, uh, remind you that I'm going to destroy and scatter your nation. Verse uh, 6, and she conceived again and bare a daughter. Now notice in verse 3, bear him a son. In verse 6, uh, bear a daughter. As far as we can tell, it seems like this might be because this isn't Hosea's child, that her unfaithfulness has begun. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhama, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. That Loruhama means no pity, no mercy, no compassion, no love. It means I don't care about you. Well, the, the names aren't getting any better for my kids at this point, God. Right? We've already had the massacre place, and now it's, I don't love you, I don't care about your country. Really, God? This is your plan? And sometimes we like the big idea of God's leading. We like God's direction, but God's details can hurt sometimes. The specific things that God brings into our life, we, we look at them and we say, God, why would you do this to me? God, I'm just trying to follow you. Man, I, I just want a wife and kids. Is that so much to ask God? Did you really have to give me the unfaithful wife? Did you really have to give me the weirdly named kids? Do my kids have to be the object lesson that you're going to destroy my nation? Really, God? Did you really have to do that? Verse 7, But I'll have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God. Great, you're going to miraculously come through for another nation, but not us. I have to be the prophet to the nation that's actually going to get destroyed? Why would you do this, God? Verse 8, Now when she had weaned Loruhama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo Ami, for ye are not my people. And that's what the name means. Hey, I'm going to scatter and destroy your nation in revenge for the massacre. I don't care about you. I'm not having pity or compassion on you. And you are not my people. That's God's message through Hosea. And sometimes when we think about God's plan, we think about the big picture of how this is going to look great and it's all going to work out. And then the details that God gives us, really God, you're going to bring me out here and you're not going to provide for my school bill? I'm going to have to go home? I'm going to have to sit out a semester from finances? All right, you're going to bring me out here and it's going to be my grandparent that has to die this semester? You're going to call me to the missions field and it's going to be our baby that we lose? Uh, you're going to, uh, to take me around the world and, and I'm not going to be the one that gets to see people saved and send out great prayer letters about all that God is doing. And uh, God, why would you do this to me? I like your will. I like your leading. Big picture. But why these details? Why this plan of grief? But God loves you so much 
that you can always trust His plan. Look at verse 10. Yet, hey, the story doesn't end here. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Uh, God, why would you do this? Why this plan of grief? And God says, just wait, because yet I will turn this plan of grief into a plan of grace. I know what I'm doing. I know my ultimate outcome. And I know it's higher than you can see, and I know it's greater than you can understand, but I know what I'm doing, and you can trust my plan. Verse 11, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. That There's something coming in the future, Hosea, and I know that right now, everything that you're experiencing and everything in your life is painful. Everything that you're experiencing is breaking your heart. But know that in the future, I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to bring it together and give you an even greater future. That right now, you see Israel and Judah, and they're fighting, but I'm going to reunite them. There's going to be peace, and there's going to be victory, and there's going to be a national future here. And right now, I know that it hurts, Hosea. But let me tell you, you can trust my plan. God never brings pain without a purpose in the present and a payoff in the future. God will bring pain into your life sometimes. Your life will not always be wonderful and rainbows and roses and whatever. But God will never bring pain without a purpose in the present and a payoff in the future. And even when God's plan does not make sense right now, even when I don't get why I would have to go through these things right now, God does. And it's not because he's against you. And it's not because he doesn't want what's best for you. And God loves you so much that you can always trust his plan. But we see here in chapter 2, part of God's process, that right now things are terrible, and in the future things are wonderful. But in between, let me tell you how this happens, God says to Hosea. The message through Hosea, Hey, say ye to your brethren Ami, and to your sisters Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead. Uh, bring an accusation to court is the idea. For she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Hey, God loves you so much that you can always trust his plan. But God loves you so much that he will not let you get away with sin. God will not let you get away with sin. Look at this in verse 5. For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. They give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will. This is what's coming in the future. I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers and she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. God says, I'm going to stop you, that you're running after all of these different things, and I'm going to stop you, but right now I'm giving you a space to repent. Right now I'm giving you an opportunity, but know this, the judgment is coming. Know this, that there will be consequences. Know this, that you will reach the end of the line. And you're going to wonder how you ever got there and why you didn't turn back sooner. 
And it says in verse 8, For uh, she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Right now, God is the one giving to Israel the good things they experience. Right now, Hosea is the one giving to Gomer the good things that she experiences. But God's delays do not speak to his apathy. It's not that God doesn't care about sin. They don't speak to God's apathy, but rather to God's mercy. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you a space that right now, all of the things I'm giving you, all the provision, the corn, the the oil, the wine, the, the gold and the silver, you're turning around and the very good things I'm giving you, you're squandering on sin. The very good things I'm giving you, you're turning them around and using them to rebel against me, but I'm going to keep providing for you for right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now for someone in here, and I hope I'm wrong, but possibly for someone in here, you've been looking at something on your computer all semester long, and you know it's wrong, and you don't care. And God could have let you gotten caught the very first day of the semester. God could have, have let you got caught and expelled the very first time, but God has said, you know what? I'm going to give them an opportunity, even though they're choosing to do wrong. Because you know what? I want them to see at Missions Conference some people that understand why I created them and what their purpose is in life. I want to give them an opportunity to be a part of my calling. I want to give them an opportunity to be a part of my plan. And do I care about what they're doing wrong? 100%. But I'm going to give them mercy. And I'm going to provide for them even while they're using that provision to rebel against me because I love them. That someone, maybe your parents are working and your parents are helping you with your school bill. And honestly, you could care less about the things of God. You don't care about your classes. You don't care about your grades. You don't care about learning what God has for you. There's no vision for the future. There's no vision for God using you to see people saved. And right now, God has been gracious to you. God is providing money for you to stay in school and, and hear truth that you could care less about. And God says, I'm doing it so that there's an opportunity because something that Brother Shepherd is going to say in that class, they need. And something that Dr. Shetler is going to tell them that Monday night, if they'll, if they'll listen, they can get on the right track. And something that Dr. Weaver is going to tell them would help their life if they'll listen. And I could judge. I could do it. I really could. But I'm giving them an opportunity. I'm giving them a chance to get on the right track. I'm giving them mercy because I love them, because they matter to me. But look at verse 9. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now I will discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths and all her solemn feasts And even verse 11, how crazy is it? The things that were worshipped to God get twisted to just be an opportunity to sin. The Sabbaths, the feasts, the opportunities to glorify God. You're just using them to sin, uh, Gomer, and I'm going to take them away. Verse 12, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. Oh, they're not from them. It's not sin that's giving you blessings. It's my mercy. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers, and forget me, saith the Lord. 
hey, this is the end result. This is the end. God's delays are extensions. They're not escapes. There will be a payday. There will be a judgment. And God says, this is coming and I'm giving you space and I'm giving you grace and I'm even providing for your sin right now to give you time and mercy to repent. But that time will stop. That time will come to an end. And for some of us, it's, it's so easy for us to get distracted by the things of this world. And, and maybe for some of you, there, there is something in your heart that is controlling your heart, that's dominating your heart. And even like the end of verse 13, hey, you forgot God. God isn't part of your thoughts. Uh, maybe you can show up to chapel and maybe you can even ace your verse quiz and maybe you can even get an A on your midterm exams and all of your classes. But honestly, you're not really thinking about God. And God says, I'm going to bring that to a stop because I love you. And in fact, I love you too much to let you get away with sin. I love you too much for, for you to go out into ministry and be the one to proclaim and to declare my name and, and to just get away with sin for the whole time long, right? I will ultimately say that time is up. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for any of us, but God says, I'm giving you mercy, but it's not going to be forever. There's an extension, but there's no escape. I love you too much to let you get away with sin. But look at chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold. God says, because of what I just said, because I have a, a great plan, and because they're rebelling against me right now, and I have to stop this, because they're rebelling against me right now, and, and this has to end, but this is my plan. This is the end result I have in mind. He says, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Hey, God loves me so much and God loves you so much that he will never give up on you. God loves you so much that he will never give up on you. Hey, even if that time of mercy, that time of grace has to be finished and there is punishment coming, God says, I I'm not giving up on you. I know my plan for you. I, I know my heart for you. And this is what God says here in verse 14. Behold, I will allure her. And the word there, the idea is to, to pursue, to try to woo, to try to win. Uh, maybe if you're uh, some guy, you've got your eye on someone, uh, some girl, maybe you want to invite them to an activity or the banquet or you want to maybe start trying to date them or whatever, and you're trying to do some nice things for them. You're trying to uh, pursue them would probably be the term we would use. That's the kind of idea here. So I'm going to allure them. I'm going to bring her into the wilderness, and I'm going to speak comfortably or peaceably, kindly unto her. Now, the wooing and pursuing part, that sounds pretty good. Speaking kind words, that sounds pretty good. Um, I'm not sure what's up with the wilderness part, God. Right? Like, we, we definitely don't have, like, desert date nights. We have, like, restaurant date nights. But you don't just go out into the desert, right? Hey, there's um, this great sand out there I, I think you should look at, right? Uh, if that is your date idea, practical advice, change your date idea, right? That's the idea. But what God is saying here, I'm not just taking you out into the wilderness because I love sand dunes. But God wants to remind you. Look at verse 15. And I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. 
God says, let me remind you of something. Let me remind you of when you were in bondage to the world, because that's where the world will always bring you. Let me remind you of when my power and my goodness and my love took you out of bondage, took you out of the world, took you out of Egypt, and I brought you to the wilderness. And that's where you got to know me. That's where you got to see who I really was. That's when you got to feel my heart for you. That's when you became a separate nation unto me. Uh, if any of you have been dating for a while or uh, are a married couple or whatever the case might be, uh, you probably remember uh, somewhere that you went on your first date or on an early date. And this is the kind of idea that God is giving. He says, hey, let me, let me take you back to our first date spot. Hey, rem remember? Remember what we used to have? Remember when you used to love me? Remember when you were mine? And you weren't being distracted by all these other voices, and you weren't being distracted by all of these other temptations, and you weren't distracted by sin in the world. Remember when I brought you out from that, and it was just us? Remember when you would sing there as in the days of your youth? Remember when you had joy? Remember when you didn't have guilt and you weren't hiding everything and, and you weren't scared that somebody would find out, but remember when you were just walking in communion and in harmony with me and remember when you used to sing? Remember when there used to be this joy in your spiritual life? I want to take you back to that. I want to remind you of that. And for some of us, it, it might have been too long since we really worshiped God like we used to. And we can look back and we can work through the, the archives of our mind and we can see, man, I used to have the joy of my salvation. I used to be so close to God and, and fellowship was sweet. And where did that go? God says, I want to remind you. I want to take you back to where it started. I want to take you back to that first date spot where you saw my love. God wants to remind you and he wants to restore you. And as we look at this chapter, God says, hey, I'm, I'm going to judge, but there is a payoff. I'm going to judge, but it's not just because I don't like you. It's not just because I'm mad at you and now I have to do something to, to even it up. I'm judging you because I want to restore you. Look at verse 15. And I will give her vineyards from thence, vineyards out of the wilderness. There's new life and new growth from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. Now, Achor is not a place that we see in the Bible a lot, but when we first see it, it's the place where Achan died, and that's how it gets its name. That Achan chose to pursue the things of the world, he chose to seek the goods of the world, and it ultimately led to others' deaths, right? And Joshua comes before the Lord, and the Lord ultimately shows him that it was Achan that had stolen this. And he was judged, and after judgment, what happened in the next battle of Ai? They won. After the judgment, after the purging, there was victory. And what God says is, I'm going to purge these things out of your life. I'm going to chasten you. But it's not out of, out of anger. It's not trying to destroy you. But I want to bring you victory. And the valley of Achor is a doorway of hope. That when you walk through God's chastening and when you receive it, that there's a brighter future on the other side. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt no more call me Ishi. Or thou shalt call me Ishi. Shalt no more call me Bailey. Verse 16. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. Now, if you were something like me as a kid, uh, you weren't perfect, and sometimes you'd lie. And if your parents were something like my parents, if you lied, you would sometimes get your mouth scrubbed out with soap, right? Anyone else experience that unpleasant memory? All right, all right. Good to see we've got some 
conservative parents in the room or something like that, I guess, right? You get it's your mouth scrubbed out. And weirdly enough, soap doesn't actually help you speak uh, more properly in terms of your actual words, uh, but it sure does give you motivation to speak more properly. And that is something that I experienced too frequently, right? And God says, I'm going to, I'm going to cleanse their mouths. I'm going to take some of these things out of their mouths. In the names of Balaam, uh, these idols, these false gods they're pursuing, I'm going, to, I'm going to clean it out. That's not going to be a part of their life anymore. But God says, this is what I'm going to do. That You won't just call me Bailey. Hey, just like one of the other gods, my Lord or my Master, just some kind of power out there. But you'll call me Ishi. Now, I don't typically call God Ishi when I pray. But the Hebrew word Ishi means my man or my husband. The closest parallel we might have in English would be something like uh, the term hubby. It's a very personal term. It's a very intimate term. And God says, I'm going to clean out all of the things that you used to say. I'm going to clean out all of the memory of idols. And, and when I purge that out of your life, when I, when I get all of that out, you're going to call me my husband. That a relationship will be close and sweet. And that's God's point. And that's God's purpose. God isn't trying to destroy you. He's trying to refine you. He's trying to, trying to draw you closer to himself. And I will take away the names of Balaam out of their mouths. And you're going to be close to me again. Verse 18, And in that day, will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. Uh, there's this miraculous peace. I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee to me this committed relationship in righteousness and in judgment in loving kindness and in mercies. I will betroth thee to me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. There's this restoration of what had been broken and sin will always break and God desires to restore. Verse 21, It shall come to pass in that day I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil and they shall hear Jezreel. And Jezreel, again, it's the massacre place. It's the I'm going to scatter you term. But he scatters, or God scatters, is one of the meanings of Jezreel. But the next one is given here in verse 23. And I will sow her. The sowing seeds or planting crops, they would ultimately, they would just scatter some seeds. Jesus tells the parable of this. It's not like the sower that went forth to sow is specifically grabbing a seed and saying, I'm just going to place this in the roadway. That's my plan. That's my purpose here. He's just scattering seeds. And this is going to be one of the roots. But it can also mean to sow. And what God is saying is that the judgment, the purging, is ultimately going to lead to a brighter future. And hey, before you were scattered, before you were cast off, but now I'm going to take that, I'm going to reverse it, and you're going to be sown. I'm going to give you roots. I'm going to give you health. I'm going to give you stability. You're going to be planted, and you're going to have new life. And that's my purpose for you. That's what I want for you. That's my outcome. It's my outcome, my desire isn't to judge you, but it's to see you grow because I love you. And I'll sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. Hey, your first child was Jezreel. God scatters, but let me tell you this. I'm going to sow you. I'm going to plant you. I'm going to give you roots and a future in life. Hey, your second child was no mercy. I could care less about you. And there I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to give you my compassion. And I will say to them that we're not my people, that lo ami, right? Not my people. 
Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. And God wants to restore you. And everything that sin broke, and everything that sin twisted, and everything that sin perverted, God said, I can restore and I can make it even better than it was before. Because I love you. And I want to draw you back to myself. I'm going to chase after you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to take you back to our first date spot. I'm going to take you back to how it used to be so that we can have a, even a brighter and better future. And if right now in your life you say, you know what, I, all I'm, I feel is controlling my life. It's not closeness to God, but it's, it's my sin. It's the things that I've chosen to pursue after. Hey, God can mend what's been broken. God can heal what's been broken. God can bring something even greater out of what's been broken if you'll turn back to Him. But not only does God want to restore, but He wants to redeem. Look at chapter 3. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet. Hey, my story for you and Gomer is not done. Love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. Hey, they're so distracted by other things. They, they see these other gods and they see the goods of the world and they're pursuing them, but I still love them. And let me tell you, Hosea, what I want to do in your story. Hey, know this, that God loves you. Not just concept you, but you, you. And Hosea, I know that this plan hurts a lot. I know that this plan, go marry the unfaithful woman, have three kids, maybe, some of them probably aren't even yours, name them terrible names, give messages of judgment. I know this hurts, but I know what I'm doing and I know where you are and I care about you, not concept you, you, you. And God says, hey, I'm going to heal this, I'm going to mend this. So, so go to your wife, verse 2, and I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver, and for an homer of barley, and a half homer of barley. God is so merciful. God is so loving. He loves me so much that he'll never give up on me. Though we could imagine a God with great mercy who would accept sinners that would come back to him. That were we to repent, and were we to make the first move, that, that a God of great mercy could potentially forgive us then, could potentially forgive us as long as we were the ones that started coming back to him. But God says, this is how much I love Israel. Hosea, show this kind of love to Gomer. And Christian, know that this is how God loves you too. That I'm willing to pursue you. I'm willing to seek you. That even while uh, Gomer is there in her adultery, in her distraction, in her sin, Hosea, you go to her. And man, that's the way that Jesus Christ loved us. Uh, man, when we think about it, hey, for scarcely for a good man would some die, yet peradventure for a righteous man some might even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still running away from him, Christ died for us. That when we didn't care about God, when, we, when it didn't matter to us who God was, when we were still enemies of God in our minds by wicked works, that Jesus Christ came and died for you. That's how much God loves you. And Hosea, I want you to show the same kind of love to Gomer. And verse 3, And I said unto her, I, I bought her back, and I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. 
so will I also be for thee. He says, hey, be faithful to me. Man, I'm, I married you. And when you ran away, I pursued after you again. Hey, will you be faithful to me? Hey, Christian, we have a relationship with God, but it's easy for us to wander. It's easy for us to, to drift away and sometimes even to run away. And God will bring you back. He wants to. And he says, hey, will you be faithful? Hey, will you stay committed to me? Will you not chase after sin anymore? You had a relationship and you chose to run, but you couldn't break that relationship, but we're back. Will you stay? Sometimes it's easy for us as Christians. We have a relationship with God and we're good in our minds. We're doing fine in our minds and we keep drifting and keep drifting and keep drifting and keep drifting. And God says, will you stop? Will you stop running? Will you just stay faithful to me? It's easy for us to see in this story other people. It can give us this kind of bland sense of comfort to think of other people as Gomer. Man, the world sure moves away from God, doesn't it? Can't believe they would do that. And it can give us this kind of generic sense of uh, self-righteous happiness. Or we're doing okay when we see other people as Gomer. Man, I can't believe my roommate would do that. I can't believe my friend would do that. I, my sibling needs to get right with God. But we feel God's love and we see God's love when we realize that I'm Gomer. I'm the one that keeps running away from God. I'm the one that has been unfaithful to God when he's been nothing but faithful to me. But God says, I love you so much that I will never, ever give up on you. Amen. Hey, today you might be saying, God, I, I, I like the idea of your direction. I like the idea of you leading my life. I, I really do. I'm really trying to be submitted to you. I'm really trying to follow you. But God, I like the idea of direction, but I don't like the details you've been bringing into my life. Hey, can I tell you, God loves you so much that you can always trust his plan. Yeah. Hey, you might be saying, you know what? I, people talk about God's love and missions conference this, missions conference that, and whatever, right? I'm just here. I'm just going to get a couple credits and transfer to some other college and just do my own thing, live my own life. I could care less about what God has to say to me. Hey, God loves you so much that he will not let you get away with sin. But God loves you so much that even when you're running and even when I'm running, that he will never, ever give up on us. Amen. There has never been a time in your life where God's love for you has been any less. There's never been a time where God says, eh, I'm just not feeling it today with that person. God loves you. And wherever you might happen to be, in whatever area of your life you might happen to be Gomer, whatever area of your life you might be confused about God's plan, know this, that God loves you. Hey, do you love him? Recently, have you thanked him for his love for you? Not just, hey, you know, start a semester, some great services. It was, it was awesome. I was on fire for God at the start. Hey, recently, have you thanked God, praised God? for his love for you. Hey, today might be that kind of time.